Today's scripture is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And if you're reading out of the Bible in the pew, it'll be pages 1256 and 1257. Verse 14 starts off. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And we believe God will bless the reading of his word. There's a small book entitled In God's Waiting Room. It was written back in the 80s, early 80s, by Dr. Lyman Strauss. Dr. Strauss was speaking at the Moody Bible College in Chicago when he received a call from his son saying that his wife Elsie had had a severe stroke that left him paralyzed. And as Dr. Strauss states in that book, this started, in his words, the darkest days of all his 71 years. He, his wife spent, I believe it was 76 consecutive days in the hospital, and when she was able to return home, he cared for her 24 hours a day, every day. Dr. Strauss had been preaching and teaching the Word of God for 45 years. He knew the Word probably as well as anyone. He delivered an average of 400 messages a year. That's over one a day. Not counting the 25-minute Bible study that he delivered five times a week on national radio. In his ministry, he had always been the one to give counsel and comfort to those who were hurting, to those who were going through depression or difficult times, but he writes in his book, he and his wife were now the ones that needed comforting. One quote from that book goes like this, Trial and tribulations are now my constant companions. Truth that I once knew intellectually and academically, I now am learning by experience. There is a difference. End of quote. This book is actually a testimony, you might say a journal, of the days and nights that he was experiencing some very dark days of despair and you might even call it depression. But in the midst of what he experienced during that time, he said he also learned through his suffering how to live victoriously. I want to read what he experienced on May the 14th, 1982. And I quote from the book. It was not a good day for Elsie. Both physically and emotionally, she was having one of those down days. I arrived home from the hospital about 8.30 that night, physically Weary and emotionally drained. 
watching her suffer and struggle for the last ten hours had gotten to me. I sat in my favorite chair and slumped into a spell of self-pity, dwelling on my own sorrow. The tears flowed freely. The longer I sat there feeling sorry for myself, the more depressed I became. I felt myself slipping into a state of despondency. There was no drive or desire to do anything. Very early that same morning, I had typed Hebrews 4.16 on a file card and taken it with me to the hospital. During the day, I had read it to Elsie several times. And together we had come to God's throne of grace. Now I was the one who had the need. The time had arrived for me to translate our verse into my own experience. End of quote. Listen again to that last sentence. The time had arrived for me to translate our verse into my own experience. When Sandy texted me a couple nights ago while I was at the state camp meeting asking if I could preach this morning, I texted back and said, Okay, and almost immediately, Hebrews 4 came to my mind. For let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. For some in this congregation, the time has arrived for you to translate this verse into your own experience, into your own time where you are with God as you follow Jesus Christ in your walk. Of course, the reason I'm here this morning is the council's sensitivity to allow Neil time for not having to be concerned about preaching this morning. I, I applaud you on your sensitivity to his need to be with Julie. Just one week ago also, Arnold and Vivian found out that he has cancer. And then my mind thought about Linda, who's been fighting cancer for some time. And I thought about Leo, who this week was in hospital, and I think he's out now, but yet will be facing more physical complications and possibly surgery. And others came to my mind in this congregation who in the last several months have gone through so much difficulty. And for good reasons, they cannot be here this morning. Oftentimes as we go through this Christian experience with Jesus Christ, there will be times when we feel there is no more hope. There will be times when we think that nobody completely understands, that nobody will except Jesus Christ, not even our spouse. I've been with Sandy 46 years and I don't understand all of her sickness. There will be struggles in life that are so overwhelming that it seems that we're going down for the third time. And we question what's going on. Why is this happening? I'm serving God. 
And too often we hear preachers and sometimes those who have been Christians for a long time saying, well, you must have done something wrong. You must have slipped back. You must have sinned or this would not have happened to you. As I study this text, I want to submit to you four things. And even though those who may need this sermon the most are not here, they do have the capability, I think, of hearing it. But those of you who are here will have the opportunity maybe to know better how to pray for them and to come alongside and help them in their time of need. First of all, we have a place to go in our time of need. In verse 16, it is identified as the throne of grace. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many scholars believe it is Paul. And for argument's sake, I will identify it as Paul's writing, but we don't know for sure. But Paul uses images of the tabernacle and later the temple as he writes these words. In both of those places of worship, there were two major rooms. There was the holy place. And then there was what was called the Most Holy or the Holy of Holies, which represented the place where God dwelt. Inside that room was what we call the Ark of the Covenant that had been with Moses from the early days of going into Canaan. It was called the Mercy Seat or the Throne of Grace. It was to this room one time a year on the Day of Atonement that only the high priests of Israel could go taking the blood that had been sacrificed from the sacrifice outside, and he would sprinkle it up on the throne of God, confessing the sins of the people that they had committed over the previous 12 months. It was a place where the priest, the high priest, man's representative, could come into the very presence of the Almighty God, the creator of everything. It was a place where God dwelt. A place where God could meet man's representative and take care of all the business that needed to be taken care of that had taken place over the last 12 months. Let me ask you, when was the last time you found yourself before God's throne of grace? Now, I'm not talking about a certain place, per se, but a time. When was the last time you felt so overwhelmed by the problems of everyday life? And all of us have them. Will they be physical, emotional, financial, spiritual, whatever? When was the last time you became so overwhelmed and you felt God's presence so real that you cried out, God have mercy on me. My needs are so magnified. I know I need you at this moment. Our text literally invites us to approach God's throne of grace. It matters not who we are. It matters not how young or how old we are. It matters not what we have done or what our particular needs may be, God invites us to come into His presence, to His throne of grace. As I said earlier, there are those who preach, you, come, you become a Christian, 
No more problems. I have not found that to be true in my own life. And I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, about 40 years now. <laughs> From Scripture, I do not find that to be true. In fact, there's a little song that some like to sing, Down in the dumps I'll never go. For that's where the devil keeps me low. So I will sing with all my might. I'll keep my armor bright. But down in the dumps I'll never go. Satan will try to drag you down in the dumps. He will try to keep you discouraged. He will try to tell you. Well if you're a Christian you'll never go there. But I know that at times we go there. But we cannot stay there. Therefore, perhaps we should be singing down in the dumps when I'm feeling low. I know a place where I can go. It is to the very throne of grace. And there I can meet my Savior face to face. We have a place to which we can go when we're overwhelmed by the problems and the difficulties of life. Not only do I see that there is a place that we can go I see that there is a procedure for going there. In verse 16 it says, Approach with confidence. Or some translations say boldly. I think some have misinterpreted that word boldly. I do not like to think that I can go to God as one of His children and demand anything from him. Now if you think you can do that, you go ahead. I will not criticize you for doing it. But I can't. As my father's son, I can never go to dad and demand anything. Not even a meal. Not the keys to the car, which I had my own car by the time I was 15. Bought it with my own money that I earned on the farm but I did not feel like even as his beloved son could I go and demand anything from my father my earthly father neither can I from my heavenly father I cannot demand anything from God Almighty rather I can go into the presence of this awesome God with faith with assurance, with confidence that He can and He will meet all of my needs. You see, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies at one time each year, he would wear a robe that went all the way down to his ankles. Around the hem of that robe were tied little bells. They would chime as he walked. And as he entered into that holy of holies, of course, they would chime. Not to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The other priest would be in the holy place, in the adjoining room, listening through the curtain. Or through the wall. To make sure the bells never stopped chiming. Why? They had a fear of going into God's presence. They knew that no man could look into the face of God and live. 
At times they would even tie a rope around the high priest's ankle. In case he died, they would pull him out. Or they would have a long staff, shepherd's staff, to wrap around his ankle and pull him out. So therefore they would listen to make sure the bells continuously rang. Because of this fear of going into God's presence. But you know something happened. Something wonderful happened as Jesus was dying on the cross. Scripture says at that moment the curtain or the wall in the temple. That wall that kept everyone but the high priest out of the Holy of Holies, out of the presence of God, was torn from top to bottom. Meaning that everyone has access to what was once a place of exclusion. Meaning that through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, everyone can go directly to the throne of God to receive whatever they need. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross opens the door to the presence of God before His throne of grace. Therefore, a person does not have to go to the pastor to confess his sins. He does not have to go to a priest. He does not have to go to the Pope in Rome or any other religious dignitary. He can go directly to God. Therefore, we should never have fear, but reverence and confidence, assurance and faith to enter the holy presence that we might receive from God whatever we have need of. And this brings us to the third thing, the purpose of approaching God or the promise that He has given us. Either mercy or grace. Mercy is for those who need God's forgiveness. Keep in mind, as I shared earlier, as the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he would take some of the blood of the sacrifice that was offered outside in the courts, take it in there and sprinkle it on the altar, and while doing so would confess the sins of all the people for the last 12 months. Can you imagine waiting 12 months to receive forgiveness? That's what they had to do. If they had sinned right after the Day of Atonement, they could not go and confess their sins the next day. They had to wait to the next Day of Atonement. And then hope that Jesus or God would accept their, their forgiveness or accept their confession and offer them forgiveness. But when Jesus died on the cross, God the Father accepted His blood. He became the ultimate and final sacrifice. He accepted Jesus' blood for our sins. For the wages of sin is death. So Jesus paid the price for us. For all who have reached the age of accountability have sinned against God. Have disobeyed God have to some degree rebelled against God. But Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins and invites everyone 
to come to the throne of grace that they may receive mercy, not punishment for their sins. But he offers something else. Grace. Grace for those who need God's power. When I was working on this part of the sermon, I immediately thought about Paul. In my opinion, the greatest of the missionaries. Also an apostle after the twelve. Paul had, as he described in, in Corinthians, a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn was. Some have speculated uh, illness, but we don't know. It was something that severely afflicted him at least three different times. He said, three times I prayed that the Lord would remove that thorn, but, but God, for some reason, uh, did not. I think it was natural for God to, or for Paul to pray to have it removed. It was proper for him to ask for relief. But God had something better. Keep this in mind. Anytime we pray and ask God for something and God does not answer our prayers the way that we think He should, God always, always gives us something better. Always. A scripture will bear this out. Personal experience uh, I have seen has always bared this out in my own life. But then the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take this thorn away. At least he didn't at that time. We have no biblical evidence that he ever did. But he says, My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, Paul said this, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, now don't misunderstand what Paul is saying when he says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and all these. That does not mean when he was whipped 39 times, he said, thank you, Lord. It's been six months since I've been whipped like that, and I really enjoyed that. That's not what he meant. That doesn't mean when he was shipwrecked the second time that he says, Thank you, Lord. I, I wanted to see if I could swim back to the shore. I didn't know if I could make it or not. No, what Paul is saying. As I went through those insults, those hardships, those persecutions, those difficulties, I realized again just how weak I am and how much I need to rely upon you and how strong you are. And you brought me through. Your, your grace is sufficient. So regardless of what your need may be, you can always approach the throne of God. Always with confidence, assurance, and faith. And He will meet that need. If there's a need for forgiveness, you will receive God's mercy rather than His punishment. If you need strength, you will receive God's grace and it is sufficient. Now this brings us to the fourth thing that I see in this text. The person. The person who will meet you at the throne of grace. And it says in verse 14, it is our high priest who is Jesus, the Son of God. 
Now, why can He meet every need that we may possibly have? Well, I see several reasons in our text. First of all, He is our high priest who now is in heaven. It says we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Keep in mind the Jewish high priest would pass through the veil into the holy of holy only one time a year. That's the only time he could ask forgiveness for the people. Jesus passed through the heavens or through the veil after he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins and he is now in heaven to intercede for us at any time of the day. Not just once a year. At any moment of the day. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Always lives. The high priest doesn't always live. Oftentimes when a church loses a pastor, they go through a period of time they may not have one. And for those who were awfully awful close to the previous pastor, sometimes feel like they, they don't have anyone to whom they can go for special needs. But you know, we always have Jesus. We always have Jesus. Jesus is our high priest who sits on the throne in heaven. There's another reason he can meet our needs. He is God. The source of mercy and grace, verse 14 says, Jesus, the Son of God. He is divine. Don't ever question the divinity of Jesus Christ. That is fundamental to everything we know about Him. See, He understands our weaknesses. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. I told you earlier, we don't understand completely everybody's sicknesses. While I was down at camp meeting, several asked me where Sandy was, and I told them about her fibromyalgia, that a lot of days she's just not able to get up. And several told me, uh, and it was mostly women, because mostly fibromyalgia is mostly a, a women's disease. Only 10% of people with fibromyalgia are men. And several women said, uh, I know exactly what she feels. I kept my mouth shut, which is seldom the case. Uh, I wanted to say, do you have fibromyalgia? And which they, they don't, or at least they haven't been diagnosed. And I wanted to say, then you don't have a clue what she feels. If you do not have the same disease as someone else, you really don't know what they're going through. You may have an idea. I don't know what Neil's going through this morning. I have an idea, but my wife has never been critically ill. I know what somebody is going through if they've lost their mom, because I lost my mom a year ago this month. But I don't know what somebody's gone through who has lost a child. I have not lost a child to death. Now, if I lose one, which I hope I don't, 
Hope I go first. But if I do, then I will understand. I know when people say that, they have good intentions. But be careful when you say that. That's one of the first principles I learned in pastoral counseling. Jesus understands. He can say it. He can say, I know exactly what you're going through. Because he's God. And because he was also completely human. And experienced most of the things that we go through. He understands. I see a fourth thing, item D, in your outline of why he's able to meet all of our needs. And that is because he's holy. He's without sin. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted... He is able to help those who are tempted. As Dr. Strauss wrote, The time had arrived for me to translate our verse into my own experience. The time had arrived for me to translate our verse into my experience. The Christian walk, as we study Scripture, should always be translating Scripture into our experience. If we don't do that, we're not getting anything out of Scripture. We're not finding any Scripture that really is helpful to us. As I said when I started this sermon, some of you might need to translate verse 16 to your own personal experience today. To by faith, with full assurance, in your time of need, to approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace. I want to end this service or this part of the service, this response a little differently than I usually do if our ladies would come up and sing maybe just one verse of a, possibly two of an invitation. If you have a need, if you find yourself in some particular need, Regardless of what it may be. Would it be spiritual? Physical, emotional, financial? Regardless of what it may be. As we stand to sing just a few verses. I would like you to just come up. I want us to almost act if this, this is the holy of holies. And I, I don't want to carry this any further. But I want you to be... Feel yourself free as God has broken down the wall that separates the holy place from the most holy place and enter into the most holy place. And I'm not saying this place is more holy than any other place in the church, but for this time of prayer to come up here before this altar, between the altar and the pew.
And just by standing here facing the sanctuary or the people out here just say, I have a need this morning I want you to pray for. And I will close this out with some type of prayer. And as these people stand before us, I want others in the church to come up and stand beside them and say, I will commit myself to pray with you until your need is met. And I know I'm asking a lot of you. But as part of the body of Christ, I think we have that obligation one to another. Since Neil and Julie cannot be here this morning, I'm going to ask Randy, you may want to come up here and stand in their place to represent them. Uh, some others may want to come up here and stand in place of them. LM, you may want to come for Linda. Others may want to come and stand in for others that cannot be here because of sickness or other situations. But if you have a need for mercy or grace as we stand to sing, won't you come up here and stand? And if others would like to stand with them to support them, Come up and hold their hand or put your hand on their shoulder and say, I will stand with you till this need is met. Won't you come and then I will close this with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, that is our prayer. That you allow us to see Jesus Christ seated at your right hand. We know how awesome, how almighty you are. Our creator, our sustainer, our healer. And we realize that if you were to withdraw your spirit from us just for a second, we'd cease to even exist. You knit us together in, your, in our mother's womb. You breathed life into us, made us living beings. You gave us purpose. Gave us existence. We live in a world that is full of sin and disease. Has many of the bad effects, of course, of Satan. And we acknowledge that so many in this congregation are sick, ill. I cannot even name them all. And some I failed to mention this morning. And we come to you today and just ask you to be with each and every one of them. Some of them have some very serious illnesses. And if you do not touch their bodies, we do not know what the future lies ahead. We're thankful for medical science and the giftedness you've given to them, and, but they're limited. You're not. We're thankful that some have made progress and we're most grateful and we give you the glory and praise, but I ask that you continue to work in their lives we ask that you not only be with them physically, but heal their emotions when they go through the valleys of despair. May they be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Give them hope. Let them know that this congregation is supporting them, lifting them up to you. Just wrap your arms around them. May they feel your breath upon their face. Draw them so close to you, they feel your heartbeat. We're thankful for this congregation, for their love, their unity. Enable them to continue to reach out to these who are hurting. 
So, Father, I ask that you honor the faith of each person today. May it bring forth fruit. May it be a testimony to not only those who are here today, but those outside this congregation of just how mighty you are. So we have submitted these requests to you, not because you did not know of them, but because it's a demonstration of our faith. And we want to share them with one another. So in the precious name of our high priest, who is there with you, Amen.